We're going to pick up at verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, which means um, house of unripe figs. (laughs) Just thought I'd throw that out to you. (laughs) Although next week you'll see how it's significant. They came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. So the donkey had given birth, the colt's with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. That's kind of cool. It's like a Jedi mind trick. The Lord has need of these. (laughs) All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. And this is out of Zechariah 9, 9. Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly. Everyone say lowly. lowly. And sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set Jesus on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's out of Psalm 118. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And so the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus cleanses the temple. At this point, it says in verse 12, then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, let me stop there for a moment. Mark chapter 11 continues... um, uh, in, in Isaiah 52 to conclude the passage because Matthew doesn't give the full passage. In the original passage in the Old Testament it says, it is written, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. For all the nations. Everyone say for all the nations. For all the nations. But you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to Jesus in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what they, these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? And he quotes out of, excuse me, uh, Isaiah 50, or uh, he, he quotes out of the passage, I'll find it later. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. And then he left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and please say Bethany. Bethany. And he lodged there. And so... That's that passage of scripture. There's two more I want to read to you, and then you can sit down. This is Jeremiah 7:11. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. And then Isaiah 56, 7. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And so that's what he's quoting. These are messianic uh, verses. And these were written hundreds of years before this event occurred, and it's fascinating. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and we trust you, God, that you will lead us into all truth. And we pray, Lord, that you'd minister to us through your living word, cause us to come alive to it, that we would be forever changed for your glory. And those who are downtrodden and struggling this Christmas, or this, (laughs) me in addition, Lord, for those of us who are struggling on New Year's Eve, and just pondering the future and struggling with what we're facing, May your peace be upon them. May they realize you're a God of hope and a God of mercy, a God of grace. And so, Lord, please, I pray your touch upon their lives, encouragement upon their souls, and bless them, we pray, according to your riches in Christ, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, have a seat. Please. 
In this passage of scripture, Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives, and I'll show you a picture momentarily. You come down the Mount of Olives into the Valley of Kidron, and then you come towards the gate. The gate is facing there, and then you enter actually on the southern steps of the temple. And as you come in through the southern steps, it's, it's what they call the court of all the nations or the court of Gentiles. And there's a, uh, a royal stoa, which is a covered portico. And, and that's where Jesus for that week would be doing his teaching underneath this portico uh, because it was hot and, and it's, it's during um, uh, Passover. So it's in the spring. It's not overwhelmingly hot, but it's a comfortable place to be. And there you have the cool stones, you have the portico, and he would be teaching there. And in this portico, in this royal stoa, which I'll show you momentarily, all these uh, money changers exist there, and they're doing their business, and I'll explain that as well. But prior to coming into this area, he's coming up from Jericho, and you go up into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is at elevation. He's coming up from the Dead Sea, which is the lowest point uh, on the earth, and he's coming up into uh, Jerusalem. And as he's traveling in, they're singing all these pilgrim songs, traveling into Jerusalem, and they're all awaiting his arrival. They think he's going to be the Messiah that's going to set them free from the bondage of Rome. Everybody has expectations. They're all thrilled about it. And as they come in, uh, all of a sudden people get thrilled. And Jesus sends two of the disciples ahead to go find this donkey, and, and it's full. And it's just given birth, and he doesn't want to separate the, the mother from the child. And so he says, bring them together, which is compassionate as the creator of the universe. And he, a, a righteous man cares for his animals. He says, bring them together. And so, and, and, if, and if the man says, what are you doing? Say, master has need of it. It's kind of like, oh, okay. And you know, the Lord works as he desires. He, he accomplishes his will. And so it's released. They bring the animal. Jesus gets on this animal. Now you look at this donkey. It is not a noble animal. One of my favorite teachers is uh, Ken Graves. And he speaks of this, this, you know, carpenter of a man with muscles. And you know, that's Jesus. He's just, he's, he's ripped. He's got muscles in places where we don't have places. He's just looking good. And, and he, he gets on this, this donkey, and, and, you know, they're tiny. If you go into Israel, you, you go into the Middle East, you see them. They're just tiny animals. You can't look manly on this thing. And, and literally, his legs are dragging on the ground as he's riding this thing, you know. It's not like a horse that the Romans would ride. It's like, you know, going through and dragging his legs. And, and they're just trying to make it look royal as best they can. And they're putting the clothes on it. So try to elevate and let's put some more claws on. They're trying to get them up on top of these, you know, oriental rugs and get them up there. So his legs aren't dragging. And the donkey's like, and, you know, and when are you getting off me? And, you know, and then they make it worse for this poor animal. They're cutting palm branches. That's where we get Palm Sunday. They're laying them down on the ground. So the animal has to get over these things, get up the slippery road. And it's just crazy. And there's a little foal with it. You know, and trying to milk itself. And, you know, and it's fun. I mean, it's a picture right there. You got it? I see it. I see it. It's right here in my head. I'm trying to get you to see it as well. And they're all saying Hosanna, which is a fascinating term, Hosanna. Um, and I'll go through this. I, I want to show you. It says, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so this is a prophetic statement in the scriptures out of Zechariah 9, 9. And I, I have that word lowly down there. Do you see it? Underlined in yellow. Lowly. Uh, translated English, humble, terrible translation. He's coming in meek and humble, lowly, submitted. No, 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 no. 
Look at this. The people shouted Hosanna. So I want to show you some of these Hebrew words. Hosanna, Hoshia na, which means please save. So they're begging him, please save us, please save us. Now they're wanting to be saved from the Romans, but they don't realize what they're saying and what the scripture declares. Save us from ourselves. Help us, God. Zechariah 9.9, again, here's, here's a mistranslation. You see this English, lowly, humble, comes from the Greek praeus, which means meek, considerate, unassuming. But the Hebrew's different. Ani is the word in Hebrew. Ani, and it means poor, afflicted. As a matter of fact, they go back to Bethany, which is where Mary and Martha are, and they go back to Bethany, which means Bet is house, and Ani is poor. They go back to the poor house. He is literally, everyone who sees him on this beast is going, that guy is like one of us. Because during the Passover, after the diaspora, which means all of the Jews in, uh, during the Babylonian era had been dispersed, diaspora, dispersed throughout the known world. They were in Rome, and they were over here, and they were over there, and they were in North Africa, and they were some made as far as China, and they're all over the world. And so when it came time for the Passover, they would travel great distances in this diaspora. They travel great distances to come back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And at great expense to themselves and their family, they would come back for the Passover. And, and when you got there, you know, it was, it was one of these cultures where you had the exceptionally wealthy and the dirt poor. And the dirt poor were the, the majority of people. In the Roman world, there was a handful of wealthy folks in this oligarchy, and the rest were slaves or completely poor. And so when they descend into Jerusalem, you're trying to find a place to live. And, and we've traveled to Jerusalem on high holidays, and you're trying to find a place to go, let alone get a bus to park and go to one of these sites. It is a zoo. It's a circus. And imagine back then, they, you, know, you couldn't call ahead for a hotel and get a reservation, and there, there wasn't cell phones, there wasn't telephones. There was, you couldn't even get a flying pigeon to get that far across the Mediterranean to get word to the person to tell them you needed a place to stay. And when you got there, you had to make arrangements, and they had brought with them their own sacrifices. You had folks in Rome that had these you know, beautiful palatial estates, and they had done well for themselves, and they, they, they were raising you know, lambs, and, and they, they picked out the finest one, the most beautiful, it was, you know, from a lineage and a heritage. This thing was a stunning beast. They would travel, they'd pay for the cartage of it. They'd bring it across the Mediterranean. They'd land there in the coastal cities. They'd have to go inland, rise up to Jerusalem, bring this in. Then they had to go and find, you know, <clears throat> accommodations for their family and accommodation for the lamb. And then it was a day where they came to bring the sacrifice and they would enter through the, the stoa, the royal stoa, and they'd come in. And there they would be greeted by all these money changers. And it was intense. Well, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He comes in this poor manner so that everyone there could relate to him. He's poor. He's poor in the things of the world, but rich in the things of God. He was born from a poor family. As a matter of fact, the sacrifice they gave at the temple was a dove, which was for the most impoverished of families. And, and even his family had been ripped off in the purchase of the dove. And that's one of the reasons why it says specifically in the text, he let the doves go. This is a racket, and Jesus is cleaning house, and he's coming in meek and mild. I mean, here's a picture of it. It's the best I could do. I mean, you can still see his, his feet are just about four inches off, and that's because they have so many of the rugs up there to raise them off the ground. He's coming. They have it white and, you know, making it look regal. It was, it was ridiculous. It was like, hee It was just bad. And they're laying down their clothes for the thing to walk on, and, and you see the palm branches. That's what they get Palm Sunday. And, and here's Zechariah 9, 9, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly or poor, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, and there's a little one with it. And it, it, was a, it, it had to be a sight to behold. I mean, you know, you're riding a horse and bringing the foal with you, isn't that precious? 
Matthew is the one that points out, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? And the reason why that's important is because where Jesus is going to be cleaning house is going to be in the, in the court of the Gentiles, which is the court of all nations. Uh, we translate it <clears throat> in English as Gentile, other than Jewish. Uh, we get that from the word ethnos, which is uh, you know, the Greek for peoples. And so we, we, we translate that Gentile, non-Jewish. But the reality is, the Lord said, this is the court for all the nations. This is a place where the rest of the world can come and access a God of mercy, grace, uh, you know, justice. It doesn't matter where you are in the four corners of the earth, you come, you will find this God of mercy and grace and justice. And, and he resides here in the Shekinah glory, in the temple itself, a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day. And people would travel to come and, and be connected with this God. But the Lord realizes that when they got there, it had turned into a racket and these people were being turned away and they were being discouraged in this whole process. And here's the reason why. They would get to, they would get to Jerusalem and they would travel a great distance. They'd bring this animal with them. And they'd get there and they'd come into the court of all nations. They would go up to the priest and they'd go to offer their sacrifice. And the priest would look at it, examine the animal and say, I'm sorry, this animal's with blemish. He says, really? Where's the blemish? I don't need to tell you where the blemish is. It's blemished. You need an approved animal that can only be used in the temple sacrifice. This animal is not approved. But where's the blemish? I am not having this conversation. You need an animal that's approved. Okay, all right. Whoa, lighten up. So they take their animal that they've brought all the way from Rome, paid for the cartage fees and everything else. They go to find one of the animals. And they, <clears throat> they go to buy one of the animals. They say, oh, no, 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 you can't use your Roman money. You've got to use temple money. Oh, okay, temple money. So you get out of that long line and you go over to the other lines, like being at Disneyland, trying to get, you know, fast pass. And you get over there and you, you get in that line for the money exchange and you give them your Roman money and they rip you off in the exchange rate. Because you're desperate. You only got a certain amount of window of time to be able to do it. It's like Christmas. <laughs> you know, the, the stuff you wanted to buy because you really wanted someone to have a gift at Christmas, you paid unbelievably exorbitant prices, yes? And now you drive by the mall now and it's packed because everyone's getting the deal trying to get their losses back. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I got such a deal. <laughs> no, you spent money. I know, but you don't understand how much I saved. You don't understand how much you spent. You know, and, then, and, and so they get in this line and they get ripped off the exchange rate and, and then they go back and they go to buy it. And when they go back to buy it, they've exchanged their animals so they could get money and then they had to do the exchange rate. And so when they go back to buy an animal that's approved, guess what animal they see in the pen? Their animal. And now it's three times the price or four times or 10 times the price. And they're just doing this. They're going, this is stupid. This is a ripoff. I am so not participating in this scam. And they walk away. Now I've been doing ministry for about 20 years. And I, I have met countless people who say, you know, I don't go to church anymore. Why is that? And they give me the story. And it is, it is a good one why they walked away from the church. And my heart breaks for them. Because the church is filled with people with feet of clay and that are selfish and flawed and do awful things to discredit the presence of God and get in the way of people seeing the Lord. And, there, and the sad part is there isn't a perfect church. And by the way, if you find a perfect church, please don't go there because the minute you go in, you have screwed it up. <laughs> Amen? And so we do our best to try to get out of the way, but our actions turn people off. And I have been responsible for that. I've hurt people, as have you. 
And we, we try to keep short accounts. We do our best to apologize and own our mistakes and acknowledge them to give people a clear access so as nothing in our life would hinder them having access to the court of all nations, that they would come to be able to see the Lord. And I have to tell you, that's not easy to do. To, to allow the world to have access to the presence of the Lord when my flesh wants to get in the way, when the Lord was saying, call Ramy, the lady, and I'm saying, no. And the Lord's saying, yes. I'm going, no. And the Lord's saying, yes. And then when Rob gets out of the way and lets the Lord come in, all of a sudden, there's, you, you open up those lines of communication. You get a chance to co- have conversation and discuss and, 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 and work through these processes. And we're supposed to be servants. We're supposed to lay our life down. And that means to put our flesh aside and our agendas and just get to an understanding. And, and, and this, is, this is what we do. Well, the church fails at that. And it will continue to fail until the Lord comes back. And, and this is what's happened. And Jesus walks in and he is so disgusted and frustrated by it that he begins to clean house. <laughs> this is my home. <clears throat> just so you don't think I'm a misogynist, let's just reverse it. Pretty good, yeah? I thought it was pretty funny. But this is Jesus cleaning house right here. You can see the doves being set free. You see the priest with the high hat, and you see Jesus there, and, and he, is just, he is just opening up a can of Jesus. He is knocking over, he's knocking over tables. The money's going everywhere. He's letting the doves loose. All the animals are, are being scattered. Here's another picture. that I love this artist's depiction of it. There are the, the lambs being run out. You see Jesus knocking over the money booth. Uh, this is the royal stoa, the portico on, on the southern side of the temple. Here's another picture kind of depicted for children to see of him turning it over. I love it how they kind of make it gentle where Jesus going. <laughs> it was like. And you know what's fascinating about the account? Not in Mark's, not in Matthew's, not in any of the gospel accounts. Does any Roman soldier go, stop it. The Romans were back going, this is really cool. It's about time they shut this racket down. And the other thing is, money changers don't part with their money easily. And they're like, they're not saying anything. Nobody's complaining, no one's doing anything. They're just, I was talking with my brother-in-law. Um, my, my wife uh, said, you, you, you've never been to the Reagan Library? He's from Virginia, he was out visiting. He said, you've never been to the Reagan Library? Why don't we take you out there? And he's a, you know, he's a really busy guy and he's a consultant. He does military stuff. And he said, I've already met Reagan. I'm like, you met Reagan? He goes, yeah. When I was in high school, I interviewed him for the high school paper. I'm like, how cool is that? He wasn't president yet, but you know, he said, and it was in this center and, and, and I'd been scheduled to meet with him, got to ask him some questions. But in this room, it was a large gathering Everyone's talking, and Reagan walked into the room, and he said, in all my life, and he's older than I am, he said, in all my life, I've never seen where a room completely changes because one person entered. It was like the gravitas of this individual's life. They walk in, and the entire atmosphere changes. I don't know if you've ever been in the presence of someone like that. Well, you are every Sunday, but I was thinking... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you're laughing. That hurts deeply. And, and, and in, this, in this time, he walks in, the whole, the whole atmosphere changes. That's the Lord. He walks into his house. There's, there's gravitas on him. The Spirit of the Lord is present. And, and he's already demanded a cult. And the person said, it's yours. 
And he did it with two disciples from a distance. And he walks into his own temple, his own house. He's occupying it. It's not the pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. He is there, Emmanuel, God with us. He walks in, and when he starts doing what he's doing, nobody's getting in the way because they're going, he has the authority to do this. Romans don't bug him. Money changers don't bug him. And he is, he is fashioned a whip out of cords, and he's... And doves are flying everywhere. Lambs are scattered. They're just watching this. And in the midst of it, he, has, he quotes scripture and he says, it's just to be a house of prayer for all nations. And you've turned it into a den of thieves and robbers. And he literally cleans house. And just to give you a picture of how this occurred, this is what is called Herod's temple. Herod built this. It's 35 acre complex. It's the remains that exist there today in Jerusalem. And, and in this 35-acre complex, where you see this right here, this is the, the, the Holy of Holies. This is the temple where the priests would go. This is where the Jews would go. And this entire area was an open courtyard. And, and the idea is, um, this is where the, the Dome of the Rock is now, um, where the mosque is. But over here is the, the royal stoa, this portico. And this is the courtyard of all nations, not Gentiles, but all nations, this is where you could come to bring your sacrifice. And then the Jews had a little special place to go, but the court of all nations was right here. And, and right here where I'm standing, you see where I'm standing? This would be the Mount of Olives. And we're going to walk towards that gate right there. And that's where, when Jesus returns, he's coming through that gate, by the way. And you would come down the Mount of Olives where I'm standing. You'd walk through the Valley of Kidron, which is right here, over near the Robinson family, right here. You go through the Valley of Kidron and then you come up and you will enter into this gate right here, which is the one I'm trying to point with, and it's not working. Oh, goodness, we're all in trouble. So what's happened today is right on, on the frontage of that, all the Muslims have buried their dead. And they've buried their dead right there because they think that the Lord can't return because he can't defile himself with all these dead bodies. God can't do it. <laughs> Could you imagine? I, I can see him just raising a whole, you know, graveyard, just going, okay, just walking through and then bring it back down. <laughs> He's God. Good luck stopping him. And they've actually sealed this so you can't get in. Ooh. But over here, over here, this royal stoa, this is where Jesus for the entire week was teaching and this is where he knocked over all of the tables. And what's fascinating about this is Neil Armstrong, the first man to walk on the moon, uh, had taken a trip to Israel, and he had a tour guide, and the tour guide was saying, Jesus purportedly walked here, and he purportedly walked here, and he purportedly walked here. Neil Armstrong stops his guide, and he says, look, purportedly, 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 I walked on the moon. That ends any conversation. It's like, take the floor, moonwalker. You know. <laughs> I am the CEO of the, and I'm the, I walked on the moon, you know, <laughs> okay, go ahead, gravitas. And he says, I want to know specifically where Jesus walked. And the tour guide said, okay. And they traveled and they came over here to what is called the Southern Steps. And the Southern Steps was where you entered in to come to the court of the all nations. This is where everyone would enter, even the poor and the lowly and the downtrodden. They'd come through here. And these southern steps had been excavated. And he turned to Neil Armstrong and he says, Jesus walked here. And when we took the tour, we took everyone there. And you walk up on the southern steps. 
And you're, you're standing where he walked. Neil Armstrong said, this is more precious to me than having walked on the moon. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. And he comes into this portico right here. And that's where he begins to clean house. Because he's so frustrated that they have hindered nations from coming to see a God of mercy and a God of grace because those who had been given the spirit of the Lord, those who had been given this mantle had soiled it such that people couldn't see God. And he said, it's time to clean the chimney. What's the chimney? The chimney is that instrument in your house that brings warmth to the whole house, right? That's why on New Year's, the the British clean the flu, the, the chimney sweeps come in so that that instrument of warmth can keep the whole house warm. That's physically, let's talk spiritually. The Bible says as men, we're priests of the home. We're, 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 we're not thermometers, we're thermostats. We set the spiritual temperature of the home. And, and if our life is such that, that the instrumentation is broken down and we don't have communion with God, we don't warm the home with the presence of the Lord. There's something getting in the way and it's time to clean the house. It's time to do a clean sweep. It's time to clean the instrument that warms the home. And Jesus does that. He says, for, for all nations to have access to God, we've got to clean this. And that's where he starts to turn everything over. He says, a house of prayer for all nations. Greek is ethnic, it's people, English, Gentiles. But the Hebrew, it says, nations, all people. A universal place of refuge for all people. And they turned it into a racket. And I bring us back to this. Again, New Year's Day was the annual sweeping of all chimneys. Expression to make a clean sweep comes from this New Year's custom. In Hong Kong, 10 days before the New Year, women observe a day of sweeping. Uh, the floors at this time, an intensive house cleaning has begun in readiness for the new year, and the same in Japan. And now it's the same with us as Christians. And I, I share that with you because the temple, sac- the temple system, Jesus wasn't there to decry the temple system. He knew that he would be the lamb slain for sinners, the perfect lamb of God, and, and he had yet to be crucified. So the system was still intact. He wasn't decrying the system. He was decrying that those who knew God hindered others from seeing him. They had clogged the chimney so to speak. And this steadfast of the Lord, uh, the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases is, is being hindered because people are getting in the way. And now that the temple's gone, it's been destroyed, Jesus said, and, and through the apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter three, don't you realize that you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? The temple's gone today. We now, according to scriptures, are the temple of God. God's presence resides in us. It resides in us. And as it resides in us, Paul goes on to write in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and, gives, uh, and was given to you by God? You, you are not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You were bought with a price, so you must honor God with your body. Our lives now belong to him. It's his temple. It's his temple. If you believe in the Lord and you have a relationship with him, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He resides in you. Just as the original temple was built as a place of worship and prayer and communication with God, that needs to be an integral part of our life as well. And so here's the question that we give to you and I give to myself as we're here on New Year's Eve. When it's time to do a clean sweep, clean house, to let that instrument of warmth for all the nations to find the presence of God if Jesus were to arrive in his temple today, which is you and me, what tables would he overturn? Ponder that quietly. What needs to go? 
what are you and I doing that is hindering others from seeing the Lord? What are we not doing that are hindering others from seeing the Lord? If God were to look into your life and be pleased with what he saw or would he see you getting so wrapped up in religious activities or your own ambitions or the busyness of everyday life that you have forgotten why you're here? I love a plaque that stands over a pastor friend of mine says, beware of the barrenness of a busy life. We get so caught up in the things of this world that we neglect the things that are important. We're called to worship him. We're called to pray with him, to be a visible presence of God on the earth. You're the only Jesus people are gonna see. They don't have to travel to Jerusalem to come to the temple. You walk into that room and you are the fragrance of Christ. To some, the aroma of death. To others, the aroma of life. But when you walk in, you're the only Jesus people are gonna see. You're bringing the temple to them. And is your life such that you have clogged the works and there's no warmth from your life because the chimney hasn't been cleaned? There's, is it time to have Jesus come in and turn some tables over? And what would those be? Again, what would those be? Because it's an inventory we have to take together if we're going to be a blessing to this community. And, and when the Lord said it's to be a place of prayer, a house of prayer for all nations, that doesn't just mean people you like. It means everybody. And so how does that work? I, I have... A handful of things I want to put forward to you to consider on New Year's Eve so that 2018 can be a year of warmth. The first one would be focus on community, not exclusion. We think the church has the four walls and we're to be protected from the world outside. And I'll tell you, ministry is a lot easier when you don't have to worry about outside. And we don't want to soil ourselves. But the reality is, the gospel is for nations. The gospel's transformative. And it requires that we go into the community. You can't say, you know, Lord, I don't want to go there. Rob, pick up the phone and call that person. I don't want to. Not my will, but thy will be done. That's the call you make when you don't want to do it. Jesus loved the unlovable, the difficult. You don't surround your, peop- your life with people who say yes all the time. You're called to minister to, you're to love your enemies and do good to those who spitefully use you. They're not angry with you. They're just struggling with life. Don't take it personal. You can't insult a dead man. The Bible says I've been crucified with Christ. Rob McCoy doesn't live anymore. You can insult me. You, know, you poke a dead man and say insults. They, they're not moving. Well, I'll tell you what, when Rob McCoy comes to life, fleshly, don't be around. But when I'm dead and Jesus lives, it is a totally different presentation. I'll tell you what, it is a warm hearth that lives are touched. So focus on community, not exclusion. Go to where, you know, one of the reasons why I'm so excited about the Dos Fiendo site is a missionary goes where they're not loved, but deeply needed. And they leave when they're no longer needed, but deeply loved. They have no idea what we want to do to bless them. And my hope is that after one year, they'll be going, how could we have ever done without this place? That we've served them so compassionately and so faithfully and their children. Secondly, have a focus on participation, not observation. We're not in the business of pew potatoes. It's time to harvest. And some of you got some deep roots because you don't move. 
I'm observing the text in this church. Are you participating? I'm observing. Are you participating? I'm observing. You get warts like, you know, potatoes do or whatever they call those things. Okay, that's just... Church, listen, church isn't a spectator sport. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, be a... Oh, this about eight people here. Nobody over here. <laughs> Nobody. And if it was you, you didn't speak. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, be a servant. a servant of all. Amen. If you want to be chief in God's kingdom, be a slave. A slave. A doulos. You know, you don't come to church to evaluate the music and the children's ministry and you know, you, you look on it and you get irritated. I got news for you. If you're sitting in the church and something's missing and you know what it is and you're upset about it, that wasn't revealed to you so you could sit and complain. It was revealed to you so that you could do it. Oh. <laughs> if there's something lacking in the community that can be touched by Christ and you see it, you don't come to me and go, Pastor, you know what you need to do? I'll just look at you and go, I don't need to do anything. <laughs> just take a number. You know what you need to do. God didn't tell me. He told you. No, he told me to tell you. No, he didn't. He talks to me just like he talks to you. <laughs> Another idea to clean the chimney, clean house. Focus on a calling, not an ambition. Focus on a calling, not an ambition. It's not about what you want. It's about what God wants. Let me give you the difference between a calling and an ambition. An ambition is this idea of what you wake up and you want to do and you, you ask God to bless it as opposed to seeking what he's wanting you to do. You just go about and do it. A calling is very interesting. I shared this story with you, but it, it serves revisiting. Uh, my pastor that, that I worked under, his name was Don McClure. Um, he's overseeing Calvary Chapel Association and Calvary Chapel Global Network is kind of broken away from Calvary Chapel Association. CGN is being run by Brian Broderson, who's the son-in-law of Pastor Chuck, who passed away a few years ago, and many of the family members of Chuck are involved in CGN. CCA is a bunch of Calvary pastors that came out of the Jesus movement. They serve Chuck. CGN is more family-oriented, the family, and they're kind of going different directions. And Don is overseeing this, and Brian Broderson's overseeing this, and there's a little bit of conflict, and I didn't really know much about it. Are you going to sign up with us? Are you going to sign up with them? And I, I don't care. I, I Sign up with both of you. Let's, you know. But the Lord put it on my heart that I, he gave me a word for Don. Now, Don is a man that I respect, and I, I have a reverential fear for. Give him a word is like, no, Lord, give that to someone else to give to him. God says, no, give it to you, give it to him. So I called him up and I said, Pastor Don, I think I have a word for you. And he goes, I need it. I go, do you want me to give it? He goes, yeah, I need it. I said, okay. <clears throat> okay, pa uh, Pastor Don, the word is really... <laughs> Took me a while to get it out. I just said, Don, Pastor Don, I always call him Pastor I said, Pastor Don, I served you for almost five years. And I said, I love you like a son loves a father. And he said, Rob, I love you like a father loves a son. I said, Pastor Don... You say that, and I know you believe it with all your heart, but I have one question for you. He said, what's that? I said, when's my birthday? He goes, I don't, I don't know. I said, but you know all your kids' birthdays. You don't know mine. And I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I'm there. I'm saying it to simply tell you I'm not your son. I know you love me, but I'm not your son. You know their anniversaries. You know their birthdays. I'm not your son. And I said, here's my point, Pastor Don. 
I served you for almost five years and you were the hardest man I ever had to work for, but I love you like a son loves a father. And the reason why is because God gave me that calling and I love you with a supernatural love that only he could have provided. And that's how you guys were with Chuck. He was a hard man to serve. I heard stories about Chuck, tough man to serve, but Don loved him like a son loves a father because God gave him that calling. I said, kids don't get a calling in the ministry. Pastor's kids are thrust into the ministry. They don't get a choice. And they're, you know, everyone looks at pastor's kids and goes, oh, well, look what they're doing. Like my kids are any better than yours. Stop it. Right? Can I get an amen? All right, thank you. So, so they're thrust into the ministry and it's easy to become spiteful of the ministry as a pastor's kid. And I praise the Lord, my, all my kids walk with God and they're not, this congregation has so blessed us and comforted and never done that to our kids. And so they have this freedom to walk with the Lord. Well, it hurt for the kids of Pastor Chuck. I said, Don, you got the family and you got the servants. This is a supernatural calling. And sometimes they get lost in ambition because they've been so hurt. I said, be patient with them. A calling is given by God and ambition is selfish. And you have to be careful. And so to clean this chimney, a clean sweep of your house, the simple idea is focus on your calling, not your ambition. It's not about you. Your ambitions can't be placed before God's calling. Amen? Almost finished. In this coming year, to clean the house, focus on being real, not being perfect. You know what allows people access to the Lord, a God of mercy and grace, is because your life is inundated with it. You don't impress people by trying to be perfect. And I'll tell you, the people that try to be perfect, they can never say, I'm sorry. They can never apologize, admit wrong. They're afraid that they're going to expose something as though they're going to give up this facade or this image. I think one of the most profound things about the ministry, and I love this, is you know why I'm behind this stool, this stand? It's because the scripture says God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. Some of you are going, I can preach better than him. I know you can. He didn't put you here. He put me here. So that you look at me and you go, well, if he can walk with the Lord, anybody can. That guy's messed up. Seriously. And, and to give your life to the Lord to be real as opposed to, to trying to be perfect, it's so freeing in the ministry. I don't like to revisit all my failures. And, and when the Lord purchased my life with his blood, he owns my past too. And if he wants it as an illustration, I have to revisit it. I don't enjoy it, but it's his. And, and to share with you about my struggle, you know, I don't want to call that person or I don't want to call it. I, I'm, I'm being transparent as best I can. I don't try to glorify the past. Every mistake I take full credit for, every victory is Jesus. And, and the secret to, to cleaning house and having a, an abiding relationship with the Lord is you just have to be real. You don't have to be perfect. Isn't that freeing? And you know why you try to be perfect is because you're not. And you don't want anyone to know that because you're prideful. And so just humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He'll lift you up. Prayer with the Lord requires honesty. Did you know that? I love that about prayer. It was, it was Abraham Lincoln who said, there were times in the, in the office where I had nowhere to go but to my knees because this person's gonna you know, whisper about me and I can't trust this person. I don't know who I can trust and what's being... And he says, where do I go? Because the decision rests with me and people will die and what do I do? And he found himself a man of prayer. Every president has. 
Where do you go? And when you're there, how do you talk to the Lord? Thou heavenliest, fatherest. He's like, what? And one of my favorites is when you're praying, you're going, uh, Lord God, I just want to tell you, Lord God, that Lord God, I so Lord God. It's like, it's like talking to me going, Rob, you know, Rob, I want to tell you, Rob, that Rob, you really, Rob, it's just so important, Rob, to tell you, Rob, that Rob, can we just talk? Can you just have a conversation with me? The Lord loves honesty. And when we're honest with God, he's always merciful with us. Spend time with the Lord. Uh, two more. Focus on pleasing God, not pleasing yourself. It's real simple. One word, service. God wants you to serve. Not yourself, but others. Amen? Focus on relationship, not religion. Meaning, you, you have that friendship with God. And you develop that with the Lord. It, it's, not, it's not, I go to church every Sunday and I do this. And I, I want to see an abiding relationship. There's those people that when they begin to pray, you know that they have a relationship with the Lord. It's just really sweet. There's just something special about it, right? Have that with the Lord. Focus on transformation, not information. The Apostle Paul went from being the greatest persecutor of the church to the greatest hero of the church. Peter went from being a cowardly fisherman to being a bold leader preaching to thousands while risking death. And Mary Magdalene went from a demon-possessed prostitute who became a model of faith, love, and devotedness. You know what's going to impress people and draw them to the warmth of God? Is when you focus on the transformation, not information. People don't care how much you know. They want to know how much you care. And you know the person who cares is the one who's been cared for. Love others with the love you yourself have received. Forgive others with the forgiveness you yourself have received. When you receive it, you give it. And that's that idea of transformation. You know why we're, we're not judgmental? is because we haven't been judged. We've been found righteous because of his mercy and his grace. If you want to receive mercy, you have to be merciful. And this is that idea of transformation. Your life is moved by mercy and grace. And instead of being informational, you're transformational. Well, I want to tell you about my eschatology and I want to tell you about the this and the this and the this. And you're like, great, do you, do you have a minute to talk? I know I, well, I don't have time for that, but I want to, that was a, you know. And here's a secret. People don't so much want to know about you. They want you to know about them. And, and that comes from a selfless life that's being transformed by the grace and the mercy of God. Okay, great, you're smart, but knowledge puffeth up. Be careful. And I'll conclude with this. 1 Corinthians 5.17, this is New Living Translation. You're a new creature in Christ. You're, the old is past, the new has come. And in 2018, live that way. Forget what is behind, strive for what is ahead, take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. As a believer, you're God's temple. Are you living in communion with him? Do you worship and pray with him regularly, privately, publicly? The idea is we are the temple. And we have to ask the Lord in 2018 so that people can have access to us in the court of all nations, that men and women can come to Christ and we will bring the temple to them. Let's ask the Lord, is there anything that is hindering people from seeing a God of mercy and grace because we have set up tables that need to be overturned? And for this 2018 to be a year of the Lord, of revival and ministry and profound lives being touched, let him turn those tables over, give them to him. I tell you, laying my life before this message, uh, Jesus, 
he, he opened up a can of Jesus that I'm thankful. And, and this is what the year has in store for us. We have the privilege to represent him to all nations. Let's not let anything in our life get in the way of that. And may the Lord bless you and make this the best year yet in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Let's have the worship team come up. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to close with a song as you're going to get a chance to learn a passage of Scripture. And in this passage of Scripture, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And uh, Pastor John's going to walk you through this. But while we're singing, I'm going to have the prayer team come up. 2018 would be a good time to say, would you pray with me? I, I want these tables overturned. I want nothing to hinder people coming to Christ in and through me as God takes his temple and places it in the middle of the community. And let the Lord use you. Ask him to reveal those things that need to be turned over. And he will. He's faithful. And may the Lord bless you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll worship the Lord together.